here we go. Welcome to the Vivo Life Show. I'm your host, Josh Bolding, and you're joining me for a nutrition-focused podcast. Now, given we're a nutrition company, it's been a minute since we've had anything really remotely touching on nutrition uh, for for quite a while, and and that wasn't wasn't intentional you know we do we do see vivo life as a vehicle for so much more than just nutrition and i'm a big believer that health and well-being is so much more than the food you put in your body however we are as i said a nutrition company and this is what we specialize in and i am joined in today's episode by one of the many vivo life nutritionists now this is what I think is one of the coolest parts about this company. We have nutritionists locked in little areas that you would not expect to find nutritionists. So for example, Louisa, who joins me in today's podcast, is our partnerships and ambassadors manager. She's also a qualified sports nutritionist. We have them dotted around the team. We have Charlotte, our marketing manager. We have Dan, our compliance technician. We have people who are qualified throughout the business. And what that does is it gives us a really unique perspective on things when it comes to making change whether that's purely a product level when it, when that comes to creating products when that comes to improving our products and giving the best possible experience but it also comes in the way that we communicate with our customers the way that we're spreading our message out there to the world and the way that we can make sure that our message and our content is is really responsible and and really aligned with what we want to do which is to improve the health of the entire planet so I'm going to jump jump right into this episode with Louisa. We did a Q&A style, so we opened up the airways to Instagram and Facebook. So we've got quite a few questions to whittle through, quite a few fun ones as well. So let's get to it. I'll see you guys on the other side. Go. May as well begin. Yeah. So we are here with our first ever nutrition corner. Yeah, there, there is a microphone on the table. I'm here with Louisa Maslavekas, our sports nutritionist, also a previous guest on the podcast in his previous iteration with Tori Reid. And we're here today to answer some of your questions. We've said it's been a minute since we've done anything nutrition related, so Mm. we're going to get here and bounce through as many of these as we can. So, Lou, do you want to take it away? Yeah. Firstly, thanks everyone for the questions. They were really good. Yeah, there's some fun ones here. Yeah. You've challenged us. We like it. Okay, so the first question is, my question is, how well does your body absorb nutrients slash protein from plant sources versus animal sources? E.g., I've heard that your body doesn't process omega-3 well from, sorry. Facts. So I I should add some context. Louisa is trying to read my chicken scratch handwriting, which was written (laughs) about 20 minutes before I left the house today. So flax, yes, from flax. Sorry, yes. Omega from flax in comparison to salmon. Hence our our algae product, omega-3. I track my micronutrients on chronometer, but something worrying... But something, sorry, on something, so basically they're worried about whether um, their body doesn't absorb plant sources as well as they think they should. All right, and that was from Martin Conan on Facebook. Got it, so a lot to unpack there, mm. right? So do you maybe want to start with, with the protein as, as a uh, macronutrient and then we'll look at the micronutrients too? Absolutely. So typically, Plant proteins are actually incomplete proteins, and that stems from the fact that they are made up of amino acids, which are essential to how your body digests and metabolizes protein. So typically, um, plant-based plant sources of protein aren't actually complete, so that's why it's good to mix um, your proteins 
that are... And what does that, what does that mean if you say it's incomplete? Okay, so that means um, there isn't, there's a missing amino acid, which is essential for the build-up, um, for how it's metabolised in the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so normally in an animal source, you would get full, complete proteins. Um, but you, you can complete that profile by just mixing like chickpeas with um, another source. Um, but yeah, there are actually two full um, animal based, animal plant based proteins, which are buckwheat and um, hemp and quinoa. You said two, that was three. Yeah, that's three. Soy is another one as well. Soy. So tofu, tempeh are complete proteins as well. Exactly. So with that then, you say you would com- you would combine proteins. Do you have to do them all at one meal or, or can you like space them out throughout the day? So I could have chickpeas and I could have some almonds and I could have some tofu. Yeah, so you could do this throughout the day. Cool. The aim is just to meet you know your daily uh, protein intake for that day. So depending on how you do it, that will still equate to the same. Because mm. really, like you said, protein is just amino acids, right? And whether you get your amino acids from a vegetable or an animal, the amino acids still do the same thing. So as long as you're com- com- you're combining your amino acids throughout the day, then you're going to have everything, your body will have everything you need to make complete proteins. So actually the, the notion of having a complete protein at every meal doesn't really make any sense. Now there is a caveat to that because post-workout, you should be consuming a, a complete protein, as you know. Um, that's because obviously after training, your, your muscles have broken down and you want to give them every chance that you can for them to repair. Um, and in order to do so, they will need all the amino acids. So that's as simple as in your post-workout meal, making sure that if you're having a shake, have a shake that has uh, a complete amino acid profile. Um, usually you do that by combining two different protein sources like ours, which is uh, pea and hemp, mm-hmm. or pea, hemp and quinoa in the ritual. Um, or if you're having a solid meal, just make sure you're combining the two different uh, or three different protein sources which are going to complete that amino acid profile. Now, if you're in doubt, a good way to do that is pick a legume, any legume, pick a grain, any grain, mm-hmm. and there you have a complete protein, usually, and it's very weird how it works, but black beans and brown rice, mm. uh, chickpeas and quinoa, like any, any whole grain and any legume, you're going to get a complete amino acid profile. So if you're in doubt, just put in some legumes, put in some whole grains. Yeah, aim for about 20 to 25 minimum grams of protein per meal. Perfect. So the other part of that then was, um, I've heard that your body doesn't process omega-3 well from flax in comparison to salmon, hence your algae product. Well, this is true and it's not. So your body doesn't process omega-3 well from flax. Well, first we wanna, we wanna break down what we mean by omega-3, because omega-3 comes in um, different short and long chain fatty acids. So you have uh, the omega-3 ALA, alpha-linolenic acid, which is found in flaxseed, chia seed, walnuts, hemp seed. Then you have the omega-3 in its longer chain in the form of DHA and EPA, which is found in oily fish like salmon. Um, Now, in terms of how you absorb them, they all have health benefits. So ALA has health benefits, EPA, DHA have health benefits, and your body needs them both. However, what I assume, Martin, you mean by this question is that you are talking about the longer form, EPA and DHA, which our body really needs for heart health and brain health. They are super important. And the question is, do we convert them from flaxseed as well as we do from fish? Well, no, we don't. Uh, that's, the, that's the honest answer. We, we need to have, um, there is a conversion pathway when we consume ALA, it needs to be converted into EPA and DHA. Our body will use some as ALA, and then it needs to convert the rest into EPA and DHA. But 
the conversion rate is not good. Um, in in most people, it's between um, eight to fifteen percent, but it can be as low as one percent, depending on on the individual. Uh, typically, women have better conversion rates. And what's really interesting is if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, your conversion rate goes goes right up. Mm. So that has that's always fascinated me because it's felt like nature's way of making sure that your baby is getting everything yeah. it needs. You know, um, so females do have better conversion rate. However, typically you do have to eat a lot of flaxseed, hempseed, chia seed to get the EPA and DHA that you need, which is why we do recommend an algae supplement. Yeah. Now, that can be a bit rough on your digestion too, if you're constantly yeah. fueling just um, flaxseed. Exactly, that's the other part of it, right? You would have to eat a lot to get that EPA and DHA. Now that isn't to say that, um, again, the question here specifically, it says that plant-based sources are not as bioavailable. Well, I, I really want to hammer home that that isn't true because plant-based are giving you the ALA, which is really important. And there is a plant-based source which is more bioavailable than fish, which is the algae. Um, the algae oil, you just need two milliliters of it to get the same EPA and DHA as you would in a four-ounce salmon steak. Um, but it's it's obviously just different forms of amino of um, fatty acids. So you want to make sure you're getting both in there. Uh, you want to make sure you're getting your EPA and DHA, and you're getting your ALA too. Um, so eat your flax seeds, eat your chia seeds. They're really good for you. But also, if you're not um, eating fish, then I would recommend eating an EPA and DHA, um, an algae supplement. I also recommend that it's probably best you don't eat that much fish because so many of them are um, contaminated with heavy metals, mercury, pollutants. There's obviously the ethical arguments against overfishing. So algae is the, the cleanest, safest, healthiest way to get your EPA and DHA. Yeah. So from that perspective, plant-based sources are better. Yeah, you're going straight to the source. Whereas if you're eating a fish, you're going to the middleman. The mm -hmm. middleman's eating the algae and exactly. you're not eating the fish. Exactly. Why do you not have the premium? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so again, we can we can touch on every nutrient individually. So things like um, vitamin A is a is a good example. So vitamin A is more bioavailable in animal form because it's converted into retinol. Um, vitamin A in the form of beta carotene is our body has to convert it again. Um, so this would be the vitamin A you find in carrots, sweet potato, cantaloupe, melon, uh, sharon fruit, these kind of foods. Your body does have to convert it, but you get a lot more of the beta carotene in these plant foods, so your body can convert enough of it to make vitamin A um, in retinol. But then there's obviously other examples of food of nutrients you get in plants that you don't find in animal foods, like polyphenols, antioxidants, vitamin C, like fiber, all of these essential nutrients. So I don't think it's a case of um, plant-based foods aren't as bioavailable. Yes, there are some that, that you need special attention to, but you would also need to, the inverse would be true if you're eating animal exactly, foods. Exactly, yeah. All right, next nice. question. I'm gonna put this one to you because you're gonna be much better than me at this one. So the best foods to recover from post-workout fatigue from Sophie on Facebook. Yeah, good question. So um, firstly, it would probably depend on, in terms of recommending you something, it would depend on what type of exercise you did and for the duration and intensity of it. So, Normally, you can't actually um, metabolize or digest more than 60 grams of carbohydrates per hour. Um, so say you've done a workout for 60 minutes, you'd want to make sure that you, to restore your glycogen stores that have been depleted, you'd need 60 grams of carbohydrates. Makes sense, right? So you're going on like one carbohydrate a minute? How yeah, so you'd say one carbohydrate per kg of body weight. Yeah, so it, okay. it's roughly around 60 grams of right. carbohydrates, but that can look like 100 grams of pasta or 
you'd have to convert that properly. Everything's different. So 60 grams of carbohydrate does not equate to 60 grams of pasta type of thing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the main thing I think is to always refuel with carbohydrate, obviously get your protein in if you've been lifting weights or doing something which is gonna be breaking down muscle and need to repair in that sense. Um, but the carbohydrates are gonna give you back your energy. And if you're a vegan, obviously that's gonna be really important to be having B vitamins with that as well. So um, I would probably recommend having B12 alongside that meal. Um, we do our own. But um, you can get B12 fortified foods like um, to season things with as well. What would be what would be your reason for having B vitamins post workout? Um, it's it really helps with your energy. And so say you're going to get that um, delayed fatigue. So you you've got that spike of energy. Mm -hmm. Your endorphins are going, and then as soon as you start to crash, it's a mixture with like blood glucose levels dipping. Yeah. Um. So that's just going to sustain it and kind of mute that feeling of feeling really like crashing. Cool, okay. Um, and then obviously you want to get in some good fats there too. Yeah. I would just look at that as a whole macronutrient profile. So carbohydrates, proteins, fats, just get a full meal in as, mm. as quickly as you can really. Mm -hmm. With that, I mean, yeah, within reason. Yeah, there's, there's the other end of that. Like I find if I eat too soon after a yeah. workout, then I, like, I'm not going to digest it as well. So I want to like, I want to recover, yeah. you know, make sure I'm back down to baseline and then have a good meal. But yeah, I think the, the key there is prioritizing actually having something to eat, right? Rather than yeah. leaving the gym, going back to your office and then two hours have gone and then your blood sugar's just gone. Bah. Yeah, and that's actually a point because a lot of people think, oh my gosh, I've just finished the gym. I need to have my protein shake right now. Mm. And actually there's, there's this window of time which everyone believes in that they need to get their protein intake in that window and yeah. actually your window is the entire day it takes okay, right. 48 hours for that protein cycle to change mm -hmm. um, so if for whatever reason you can't eat two hours after the gym I'm sure you probably feel not as alive anymore but <laughs> eating your protein then is going to be just as beneficial as it would have been 20 minutes after yeah awesome. but yeah just focusing on um, what your own hunger levels too I think cool and then, so I'll add a little bit to that as well. Mm. So from post-workout fatigue, now I'm, there's two parts to this, right? If fatigue, if you're fatigued, take a look at your calories because there's fatigue, mm. like my energy levels are down. So if I'm fatigued, then that's telling me that actually maybe I'm not getting the caloric requirements that my body needs to actually feel energized. Because yeah. if you've done a tough workout, the next day you might feel sore. Mm -hmm. I'll come on to sore in a minute, but you should not feel like your energy should be consistent yeah. if you refueled your body correctly. The second part is the um, is soreness. So if by fatigue you mean soreness, muscle soreness, then mm. that's when we can look at anti-inflammatory foods and antioxidants. They mm. can come in really, really helpful. Um, again, they don't need to be immediately in the post-workout meal, but if you're eating a, a high antioxidant diet, so foods that are high in antioxidants, things like berries, um, spices like turmeric, green vegetables, all kinds of fruits and vegetables really. If you're getting those antioxidants, those polyphenols in, then your body's gonna fight the free radicals that cause oxidative stress cause that muscle soreness and they're going to help you know prevent any Lactic like acid. lingering mm -hmm. yeah lingering dots which can be an issue if that's what you mean by fatigue and also want to know is um like you said with the calorie intake it's what have you eaten and fueled for that exercise mm -hmm. so have you trained fasted what's what time of day is that so could you have done with a snack mm -hmm. before was yeah. that maybe something like a banana or some 
porridge, like whatever that looks like to you, make sure that you're, fu- you're fueling properly for your workout because you're actually going to be more beneficial and perform better if you're fueled properly and there's going to be less of a crash. You're going to feel less dead and hungry after your workout if you've got all that organized first. Boom. <laughs> all right, I'm going to read this because it's a long one and my writing is terrible. <laughs> I like this question. John Quaxo on Facebook. How come I was basically healthy before I've started educating myself on nutrition? I had no flaxseed, no berries, less veggies, no B12 supplement. Now I have these numbers from science and don't understand how I could possibly have reached them in the past. Also some friends or family members. When I see their diet, I wonder about this. Mm. Interesting, eh? It is interesting. And it is something I have definitely thought about. Yeah. And I think, in short, the simplest way to say it is over time that nutrient deficiency will take its toll. Mm. You might feel fine, but actually you're maybe just compromising and um, you might find maybe, this would be something you have to be personal though, you might find, do you have more energy? Do you feel better now than you were before? You might not have felt terrible, but do you feel better now? Mm. And yeah, it is something which over time will cause damage in more ways than you could see. So I have I have a bit of a case study in, oh, in, my, yes. in my in my household of that, and and he wouldn't mind me speaking about it at all. I'm not going to go into any any detail, but that would be my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so what's his postcode? My, <laughs> my my dad didn't like genuinely. He didn't drink a glass of water for at least ten years. Wow. At least ten years, he didn't drink one glass Was of water. Was he born in the Sahara Desert or? No, like he would he would wake up and it could have been longer than ten years. I think. Probably from when he was like 25 to at least about 40. Did he just not like water? No, he would wake up and he would drink tea with milk and sugar. Right. All throughout the day would be tea. And then in the evening he'd drink beer. And he wouldn't drink water unless he was really ill or, I guess... Someone told him to. No, well, even then he'd be like, no, I'll just have a tea. But and I would just, I'd sit there and like with my... New, like my nutrition head on would be like how are you still alive like how is your body still structurally because yeah. like if I don't have water for like two hours I'm parched yeah well there's water content in food obviously there is but yeah. not to the extent but he was eating like bacon sandwiches yeah. and like salty yeah, yeah, exactly. those things make you more okay, exactly so, so it's paradoxical because uh, like because alcohol is dehydrating as mm-hmm. well so I'm like, like how is how is this working but the human body is remarkably adaptable so right. before you go into your case study, right. just on this note, um, so when I was doing my masters, the um, one of our lecturers did a whole thesis on um, rugby players drinking water to thirst and mm-hmm. like how dehydrated are they on and off the pitch, and he literally concluded in this study that you drink to thirst, you can't get to this level of dehydration because you wouldn't let your body do it. So you have all these mechanisms in place which prevent you from ever being dehydrated. So we sweat. If we didn't, if we needed to hold on to water so badly, we wouldn't sweat. Okay. And when you're thirsty, you drink. So Mm. unless these sources aren't readily available and you're in the Sahara Desert and you haven't got water, you may start to, over time, dehydrate. But... You, you can't really get into that state because your body won't let you. That's so for him, he's ob- your dad, he's obviously, um, his level of hydration is just this thing continued, right? Yeah. So he never feels like he needs a glass of water because he's hydrated in a different way. And it's at his own yeah. um, state, like hydration Baseline. status. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Even still, I don't recommend it. It's no, not no, like, no. <laughs> it's not recommend. a healthy thing to be doing. I, no. I say the water thing because, so like, my dad, he didn't, he didn't eat well. He didn't drink well for for most of my childhood. It was not it was not a priority for him. And it's only in in the past like five or six years that he's really been making an effort. He's been um, eating vegetables. He's eating pretty much a plant based diet now. He's drinking water finally. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing all these things. For for his younger years, like nothing showed up he didn't have any any problems but it's only like later down the line that stuff will start to come to the surface so yeah. it was only when he got into like his early 40s that these things like started to show up it would just be a niggling thing right okay this is i've got some pain in my knee or mm-hmm. like i've got um like like my, my skin isn't like what it was or whatever and it's like okay well now these are showing up from these 10 15 years of damage that you did when you weren't when you weren't like really paying attention it's easily reversible. Now he's on a healthy diet, these things are reversing themselves and it's brilliant to see, but it was coming out later down the line. So it's even like, so John, to answer your question, even if you think these things aren't showing up now, they are coming there long term. It's just some people, some people are lucky, you know, some people Mm -hmm. are, um, have like this baseline that can keep them, keep them going. Mm -hmm. Other people, you know, if you, if you didn't take B12 for a year, like you, you might have anemia, you know, that's just what you're predisposed to. So the best, advice I can give is you now you know what is a healthy diet yeah eat that healthy Run diet for it. yeah for sure and and go for it but then the the only other part I'll add to that is the placebo is also very powerful yes and I think you know we we see that there are people who who don't know what healthy is mm-hmm. healthy eating is but they also don't worry about it yeah and by doing that they're kind of counteracting a lot of that middle area that's like okay when you know what a healthy diet is but you don't eat it and then you're judging yourself for eating in this way and and then you're worrying about oh have i got my b12 today or have i eaten enough whatever Mm -hmm. you know then that actually is creating dis-ease in the body dis-ease because you're not at ease with where you're at if you're eating predominantly healthy maybe you're not hitting your perfect macronutrients for everything but you're also not worrying about it Mm -hmm. and you're doing the other things you're you're laughing, you're playing, you're getting active, you're getting enough sleep, then this stuff might not matter as much. Exactly. But you might even find that, so things that might be, let's say, wrong with you, or things that maybe like, your skin's bad, or um, your bones are brittle, like, mm. things like this, right? You, you aren't going to understand why these things are happening if you don't equate the fact that your, maybe your diet has something to do with it, because you are everything that you eat. So... Yeah. It's like, oh, I might feel fine, but actually I've got this, this, and this wrong with me. Maybe that's to do with my diet, but people wouldn't think that. They would just think that, that that's a normal thing that would be happening to them. Yeah, yeah. And what's your baseline, right? Like, mm. if do, so you use your friends and family, like, do you know, are they having energy slumps at 2, 3 p.m.? Because yeah. a lot of people class that as normal. Are they struggling to sleep through the night? You know, can they, can they, um, can they run a mile without getting out of breath? Like, all, all these little things, you know. Yeah. So they may be, they may be doing all right, like I said, the human body can adapt to anything. Yeah. You know, we're remarkable machines, but they may not be optimal. So, exactly. John, you know what a healthy diet is like. Keep keep going at it. Yeah. Um, and just focus on you. I think. Yeah. Good question, though. Yeah. Very true. I like to. <laughs> right. Um, we'll start from the top if you want to go. Okay. So, the uh, what is your opinion of oil and salt? They're delicious. Yeah, love them. 
especially together. Yeah, exactly. Some bread. Yes. Warm bread, perhaps. Yes. Ooh, I'm yeah. hungry. They are, so I remember a good chef told me once that if you use oil and salt, you're cheating because they just make any meal taste better. <laughs> so I think what you mean by that is that is the health benefits of oil and salt, right? Or the health disadvantages of oil and salt. So let's, um, let's start with oil. Um, I think oil is something that gets a lot of, um, there's a lot of confusion. I think people look at yeah. all oil as bad. Right. Well, there was that whole um, period of time where it was, which is the best oil to cook with? There was like mm. this coconut, then there was vegetable oil, then yep. there was olive oil. And we did a 360, right? Yep. Where it was like, all of a sudden, olive oil's bad for you. Yep. And everyone wants coconut oil, when yep. actually, in fact, it's better to probably be cooking with olive oil because it burns at a higher temperature. But it depends what you're cooking and how hot you're cooking and what yep. kind of food it is. Yep. So all these things come into part, but oil is not the enemy. It's, it's not, it does depend on context though. So, so let's look at some examples. So um, if you are actively trying to lose weight, yeah. oil might not be the best food for you because it is so calorically dense, right? One tablespoon of, of olive oil has got like 140 calories yeah. and it's not gonna fill you up very much if you compared that to eating like 12 almonds or something. Now, if you, your goal is just general health, oil can be, it can be fine. Like I wouldn't, I'd never say it's like a health, health food, mm. but like, you know, we look at the blue zones in Italy and, and Greece, like they're pouring olive oil on everything, they're using it as a salad dressing mm. and they're like, they're living longer than anyone in the world. Um, I think we should look at the different types of oils as well, because that yeah. is key. Like we don't want to just put oil like all under one roof. Um, vegetable oil, rapeseed oil, canola oil, soybean oil, like, cancer causes, stay away from them as much as you can. Like they're, they're very, very bad for you. These things that oxidize really easily, um, you know, low cooking temperatures, high omega-6, usually um, rancid by the time they, they make it into the bottle. Mm. Um, stay away, I would, as much as you can. Um, then we have the, the healthier oil, so olive oil, um, coconut oil, avocado oil, they all have higher uh, heat points, so they can be used in general, Again, like olive oil, it would be better for you to use as a dressing than to cook mm. with it, but you can cook with it and you can cook with it fine. Um, olive oil does have a lot of health benefits, vitamin E, um, it's been shown to lower cholesterol, it has like a lot of antioxidants in there, so it is really beneficial. Um, and then there's of course, there's like the animal derived fats as well, which um, things like butter, lard, ghee and tallow, and, and these can be problematic as well in certain individuals because they're high in saturated fat. Exactly, I was so, going to say that. So, fat. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, stay, I'd stay away from the vegetable oils. Mm. I'd use things like olive, avocado oil, coconut oil um, to taste, you know, if, if you enjoy it, if it makes your food taste better, then absolutely use it within part of a balanced diet. Um, and yeah, unless you have anything else to add on oil. Yeah, not really, just more so, I think another, um, place people can think oil belongs is obviously when they look at it in terms of fat. Mm -hmm. So high, if you're talking about lots of oily food, it can be like high fat foods. So yeah. um, the combination of something which is high fat and also high sugar, so like cakes and mm. sweet things like that, they they tend to rack up a lot of calories, but yeah. within reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's all about everything in moderation. No, don't ever say or label foods good and bad because they're not, you mm. know, they're just lower levels of them at different times. Yeah, and the, the, the last thing I'll add on the oil, so there is 
in and you know as well in the vegan movement there there are people who a lot of people who avoid oil they think oil mm. is, is the enemy now that came from um the colin campbell study the china study where they looked at they they put people on an, on an intervention diet that had heart disease and high blood pressure and they gave them a low-fat whole foods plant-based diet with no oil mm-hmm. and it cured them of their heart disease fantastic but these are people that were already ill and had a pre exposed yes, pre-exposed no to a heart condition that. it's not just because that worked for them does not say that it, it is the right approach for everyone mm-hmm. so again see where you're at if you if you like you don't you don't need to consume oil you know no. you can get all your all your healthy fats without it but personally like I love a bit of olive oil on a salad. Yeah. I love to roast some vegetables in it. You know, it adds stuff to, to a meal and I wouldn't want to avoid it completely. Some of the healthiest diets are the Mediterranean diets. Mm-hmm. That's like one of the, the top that you'd recommend to people yep. in terms of like healthy and full of nutrition. Yeah. So. You you tell me any Italian grandmother, like you try and tell her yeah. to, to not pour olive oil on her food. Like, exactly. go away, go home. Yeah. She's there like 95 <laughs> years old. Oh, Skin's flawless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. Mm, tricky one. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of scaremongering with salt. Um, salt is really a concern if you already have high blood pressure and um, or high cholesterol. Then one hundred percent, you need to knock that on the head and have, be very mindful of where that salt intake is coming from. But most people, salt, your body actually craves salt sometimes. So mm. say if you've been working out and you sweat a lot, you lose a lot of salt electrolytes from that. And to replenish them, it's really, really important for the status of hydration to have salt. So in terms of performance, it can be almost a make or break, mm. especially with recovery too. Yep. Um, well, the, the key to that is sodium is actually an essential mineral. Yeah. Just like magnesium, just like potassium, all these minerals we are told to get, just like not getting those nutrients at all is going to be bad for you. Not having sodium at all is going to be bad for you. Mm. you know, your body does need it. Now, you can get sodium in the foods you eat, but if you are an athlete, if you are sweating a lot, then you may need more sodium than other people. And sodium, we also... So I'm going to look at, um, again, where this fear-mongering of, of salt came from, and that was from a study called the InterSalt Study. Um, and what that did is it was a global study that looked at uh, different populations around the world. It looked at their salt consumption and then it correlated it with whether they had high blood pressure or not. And they found the correlation between people that ate a high sodium diet and high blood pressure. So therefore the conclusion was drawn that salt equals high blood pressure. Well, may or may not be true because if we look at some of the research that they did, um, one example was a, a tribe called the Yanomani tribe of the Amazon rainforest who were found to have very low sodium consumption at less than 2,000 milligrams per day. However, even in the intersalt study itself, they, they put this when referencing the Yanomani tribe. They said, in addition to low sodium intake, other factors that may contribute to the absence of hypertension amongst the Yanomani are as follows. Low body mass index and the almost non-existence of obesity, no alcohol ingestion, low ingestion of saturated fat, high ingestion of fibers, relatively high physical activity, and low levels of psychological stress. <laughs> so was it the salt or was it those things, you know? Mm. So, we don't have a clear correlation and we also have to look at where the salt comes from in most people's diets because most people aren't adding Himalayan salt or sea salt or whatever yeah. to a whole foods plant-based diet or a healthy diet. They're usually having salt packaged with processed foods and 
generally in the West, the people who eat more salt are the people who eat more processed foods because they come, they are one and the same, mm -hmm. you know? So again, is it the salt that's the enemy or is it the trans fats, saturated fats, sugars, all of these things that come with it? Um, my, my personal opinion is that, like you said, salt should be to taste. If your body is craving salt, mm -hmm. then there's probably a reason for that and you should listen. Your body has a remarkable ability of regulating your sodium balances too. So if you're consuming a high salt diet, then it will excrete more via the kidneys. If you're consuming a low salt diet, then your body will retain more sodium. So your body is very adaptable when it comes to salt. Um, unless you have low, like unless you have an existing blood pressure condition, heart condition, or cholesterol, then I see no reason to avoid salt. Yeah, I think just um, being mindful of the back of food products and looking at how much mm. salt content is in them because there does tend to be a lot of salt content in foods just because it's a preservative mm. and that helps the foods last longer. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just knowing your intake and making sure that you can check the back of things so you're not over, you're not going over it. Yeah. But it's very likely that you probably won't be. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, there are sodium there is sodium in foods. I know I know someone who is salt free but consumes celery juice every day. Well, celery is the most sodium rich food, <laughs> and they wonder why they feel so good drinking celery juice. Well, it may be the sodium that you won't get it yeah. from your diet, you know. So your body, like your body, does know it needs to get it and it will probably trick you if you're not giving it salt then it'd be like have celery juice <laughs> <laughs> whisper sweet nothings to you exactly right next one um not eating any more dairy and meat has helped a lot with acne what other foods cause acne from humberito on instagram hmm. i don't know if you have anything on this i do because i used to suffer with acne so i know it, so know it this quite well. one i was I was curious to, you know, find out more if, if you did because it is really interesting and I think this is something which people ask a lot and I yep. think it comes down to genetics too when mm -hmm. it comes to acne and other environmental factors. Foods alone can't be the only reason for it, but I'm sure there there are some foods which are probably flat, very um, cause inflammation, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and you've uh, Humberito, you've named two of them, uh, meat and dairy. Like, mm. give it, giving up dairy just like overnight, my skin was like, Yeah, that did change the game for me. And I right? didn't have bad skin. I remember being like 14, 15 years old, like drinking whey protein shakes and wondering why I was breaking out all the time. Well, yeah. actually, it's like all these hormones in the dairy products. And that, so they're, they're, they are the big ones. Um, meat, again, like if a lot of, um, skin issues are related to the gut and if you're eating a meat heavy diet and your body's struggling to process that all and expel the toxins then that is again going to show up as mm -hmm. back up like in in skin conditions um and as you said other inflammatory foods so i would add sugar to that list it's yeah. an inflammatory food um trans fats any kind of like the oils we spoke about earlier vegetable oil soybean oil these kind of things foods that make you have an inflammatory response if you are predisposed to acne then you are likely to break out more often mm -hmm. um there are two that that you may want to also look at if you are if you have eliminated all those things you're eating a whole foods plant-based diet and you are still struggling um the first is chocolate yes. so it's i i for a long time thought that chocolate was is it because of the sugar is it because of the milk um However, there was actually a, a double-blind, placebo-controlled study um, on cocoa, so 100% pure cocoa consumption versus placebo. Now, 
subjects were given uh, a pill which was either cocoa or placebo. Mm -hmm. um, they were asked to swallow 240 pills. Can you believe wow. that? <laughs> in one go? In one go. Yeah, oh, that's they, they as well. I know, right? Trying to salt. Oh, I've done I know. that before. So they wanted to replicate a chocolate binge that you would usually have, and that would you needed 240 capsules to get to three ounces of, of mm. cocoa. Um, and obviously they had to do it in uh, pill form rather than just eat the chocolate because you would know if you're eating chocolate or not, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> That'd be easier, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so they did that. And they found that the um, both of these control groups were were subject to acne. They were predisposed to acne, um, and the people who consumed the cocoa powder had a doubling of acne lesions within four days. Um, there are some problems with that study, obviously, like the way the way it is done, the way it was such a large amount at one time. Um, but there are there are some links correlating um, cocoa, cacao, chocolate with acne. So. I'm sorry to bring bad news because I know how much everyone likes chocolate, but what I would say mm. is find like the safe amount for you. Mm. Like again, when I when I eliminated dairy and meat and these these foods, like I had no issues with chocolate. Um, but I know, um, Ferdy, if if you're listening, you won't you won't mind me saying like you had an amazing skin transformation. Um, Same as Brian. Brian as well, yeah. yeah. And and Ferdy found actually, I remember speaking to him a couple of years ago that. Um, chocolate was a, a trigger food for him so he would limit it and just eat it in small quantities which which is fine now mm. I know now he, he eats he, he's introduced cacao back so it's almost like when your skin goes through that healing process you can bring those foods back but temporarily we may need to get rid of yeah. it I have one more but I don't want to I feel like I'm talking no keep talking I love it alright um, <laughs> you're on a roll B12 is another one um so high levels of B12 do increase the inflammatory response of the skin bacteria that produce acne. Um, and this has, been, this has been found by people who are prone to acne. If they consume high levels of B12, then they can suffer from, from breakouts. Again, I would say find the amount that works for you. So it may be that consuming 500 milligrams of B12 daily is too much and mm -hmm. your skin breaks out. Consuming 100 milligrams is fine. Now, you want to make sure that your obviously your number one priority, especially if you're eating a plant-based diet, is to make sure you're getting the B12. Yeah. Um, the what I would say with with this is rather than consuming your B12 in one big hit, try consuming it in two smaller hits spaced yeah. out throughout the day. Because B12, our body can only absorb a certain amount at a time. Uh, the absorption rate is is highly limited. But if you can condense that into two servings, then you could have two smaller servings of say 20 milligrams each time versus one big serving of 100 milligrams each time. So that may be worth looking at if, if you suspect B12 to be uh, Definitely an issue. Definitely worth a try, yeah. Okay. Easy. Are we jumping to the calcium one? Uh, yes, let's do it. So I'm a vegan for almost one year. Oh no, that's the wrong one, sorry. We can do sorry. that if you want. I know I was going to calcium. Um, I'm 15 and I'm vegan and I don't like plant-based milk. How can I get enough calcium? Go. Yes, so um, actually there are a lot of um, plant-based sources that are rich in calcium. Some of them are any green leafy veg, so broccoli, kale, okra, which is a personal favourite. Really? I can't yeah. get down with it. Really? Yeah. It's like so courgette, but stickier. Yeah, that's, that's a stickiness I can't vibe yeah. with. Oh, interesting. Maybe not cooking it right. I don't think I am. Well, no. that's another day then. Okay, all right. Um, Coming soon to an episode near you. <laughs> um, chia seeds, 
figs, um, calcium set tofu. Mm -hmm. Actually, a hundred grams of that uncooked um, is enough for your daily recommendation. Really? Mm. Wow. Sesame seeds, tahini, and pulses. And another top tip is consuming your calcium with vitamin D because it really helps with the absorption of it. Big. Yes. Really? The only thing I'd say with that is is how do you consume it with vitamin D? Because vitamin D, you have to be out in the sun, right? Or would Unless you've got a supplement like we do at Viva ah, Life. Segway. There we go. But so, as I understand it, as long as you're consuming adequate, consuming adequate D, that sounds so wrong, doesn't it? Consuming <laughs> adequate. You said it, not me. Vitamin D throughout the day, yes. and that can be through sunlight or supplementation. Yeah. Then that's fine, right? So similar with the with the protein thing. Yeah. Cool. So more so, you want to avoid tannins within whenever you want to be fully absorbed by nutrients. How do I get in the sun if I want to avoid tannin? Uh, here he is, <laughs> Josh the comedian. Oh, terrible. So for those who don't know, tannins um, are actually inhibitors of a lot of nutrients and they come in things like teas and coffees. Um, so normally when you're trying to supplement, you would like to avoid um, any tannins within like a window, I'd say an hour either side of consuming it. So maybe have your vitamin D drop and then go into your dinner or have your right. vitamin D drop after your dinner. Cool. Just hang fire on that tea. Cool, gotcha, gotcha. All right, big. I don't think I've got much to add to that mm. apart from, um, I like the way you say no, you haven't got anything to add to that. Like, <laughs> I smashed it all. Yeah. Um, K2 is another vitamin that you may want to mm. look at because that can help with the absorption of calcium in the same way that vitamin D3 does. Um, they work in a synergy, calcium D3 and K2. They're all required for bone health. Um, so pay attention to K2. That's why we, we um, our vitamin D3 comes with K2. Um, the other thing I would say is that actually plant-based sources are more bioavailable than animal-based sources of mm. calcium. Uh, they can range up to from 40 to 60%. Uh, animal sources are around 30%. So actually you need less from plants. Going back to the first question about bioavailability, it can be more bioavailable from plants. So... Um, yeah, eat a wide range of the foods you suggested and mm. I think you're going to be good. Yeah. Right, two more. Why is refined sugar worse than the sugar you find in fruit, maple syrup, etc. from sustain, Sustainability on Instagram? Sustain your belly. <laughs> well, also have to sustain your belly. So, um, this actually goes back to what we were previously talking about and fat and foods. Mm. And I think... Refined sugar tends to come with high saturated fats, typically. So like like I said, cupcakes, cookies, all the delicious, nice things. Mm. Um, deliciously naughty things, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so normally um, those type of foods are worse for you because if you combine high sugar with high fat, it can be really high calorie and it can, um, over time, if you're really heavily consuming them, um, result in a high cholesterol, which is something that you really don't want. Um, but yeah, there is that debate between um, is all sugar just sugar and is fruit sugar different to other sugar? And yeah. Well, it is definitely different from mm. other sugar, right? So let's let's take away the cookies and the muffins. Let's put a, um, a tablespoon of sugar. Mm -hmm. Let's say that's 14 grams of sugar versus... Is this white castor sugar? White castor sugar. Sure. Yeah. Castor or castor? 
you'll know the money. Caster, I would say. Do caster. I say caster? Yeah. I, yeah. I say caster sugar. I caught myself then. You know, I spoke with a Northern accent up until I was five years old. That is a fun fact about you. There you go. We'll come on to that later. <laughs> um, so, 14 grams of caster sugar versus a whole apple, right? They're both going to have roughly the same amount of sugar. Mm. Um, so, is your body going to treat them exactly the same? Well, of course, the answer is no. The apple, number one, is going to contain more fibre and more water, so it's going to be much more filling and your body is going to process it in a much more uh, smooth way versus the, the caster sugar, you're going to be like, boom, energy hit, 20 minutes later, back to the floor. Back so for that's, another spoonful. That's back, back for another spoonful. That's what that's like. So then you're doubling that calorie intake already. Yeah. And then, so the, the other part of that is that the apple also comes packaged with uh, antioxidants, which can help your body to process sugar. It helps to reduce the, um, reduce the inflammatory response of mm -hmm. the sugar. Uh, it comes with pectin, which is a certain type of fiber, which helps to blunt insulin response. So your body doesn't just go and then mm -hmm. again. Um, it comes with vitamin C, all of these essential nutrients that your body is actually craving, right? So when your body is craving sugar, it's not really, it's craving energy and it's craving uh, mm -hmm. nutrients. And you have an apple, you're gonna get natural sugars, which will give you an energy boost, but you're also gonna get those other things too, where you have the sugar, you get an energy boost, and then your body will be like, but where's the rest of it? Exactly. Come back for another spoonful. Because the food is, at the food, the body metabolizes everything together. And so food is not, it's always metabolized as one. Mm. It isn't just, so when you just have just sugar, all you're getting is sugar. There's not there's there's nothing else going on in your body apart from this really high glucose spike. Yeah. Um, which sends your body crazy because it doesn't it doesn't need to do much to digest it. It yep. just sends it on a craze. Yeah. Whereas if you're having something which is more whole foods, it's gonna break down that sugar slowly and the rest of the food is gonna be absorbed properly. There you go. Alright, so what about one more on the sugar then. So what about table sugar versus um, Coconut sugar versus agave versus maple syrup. Do you have any preferences there or any recommendations there? Um, so the only thing that will be different will be the GI um, mm -hmm. index, which is glycemic index, which is essentially what happens when you consume it and how your body reacts to it. So that's the sugar spike. Yeah. Um, personally, my favorite is agave because mm -hmm. it has a low GI. Yeah. Um, so if you're just having that, you know, with some porridge, you maybe haven't got. Um, different foods in there that would be um, ideal for breaking it down because normally what if you have some fats with sugar yeah it helps with the it bloods the process of the spike yeah so if you were having something that was just pure carbohydrate and sugar you would get that spike so it'd be mm. better to have a lower GI um, type of sugar in that that makes meal. sense but on that subject the GI of food, the reason I don't touch on GI too much is mm. because it can it changes based on the food that it's eaten with. So yeah. that porridge and agave, for example, if you had just that, then you're going to get more of a uh, GI. For example, uh, we should add that GI stands for glycemic index. If you add any, if you were to add some peanut butter, for example, then the GI is going to change completely. Absolutely. So it all depends on context as well. But I would I would say like there is a lot of uh, movement from away from table sugar towards coconut sugar or um, agave or maple like they are they're all treat foods right you know yeah. some might be a little bit better some may have a little more nutrients but they are treats and they should be used sparingly um, but also like they shouldn't if you're healthy there's no reason they should be excluded completely yeah never exclude anything exactly. life's too short agreed so last one for today is I'm vegan for almost one year and I have a lot of gas and bloating how to stop it from 
can't be his name. That's too ironic. D Arsov on Instagram. Couldn't write it, could you? <laughs> Love it. D Arsov, okay. Well, D Arsov, let's talk about your, your gas and your bloating. Um, do you want to start? Yeah, so when people change from a, pl- from a well, an animal based diet to a plant based diet, the difference in your um, digestion and your gut. It's just crazy because you've completely switched from this probably low fiber diet to a very high fiber diet and with high fiber diet causes a lot of water retention which can cause a bit of discomfort and bloating. Um, So yeah, the first thing I would say was just be patient. It takes a while for your body to digest Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'd maybe have a little look to see if it wasn't going away, what types of things you could do to help that. And sometimes I found um, you can get, um, for like legumes and stuff and uh, chickpeas, you can get um, an enzyme which helps break it down, which you have before, and that helps with it. HCL? Yeah. Cool, okay, nice, nice. So there's a lot There's a lot to unpack there, and again, gas and bloating can be really individual, depending on, on what you're eating, how much you're eating. Yeah. Um, so you said, I left this out, but on the comment you said that you're a vegan bodybuilder. So by by that, I'm going to assume that you're eating more protein and more calories than the average person. Well, that is automatically more demands on your digestive system. And if you're doing that purely from whole plant-based foods, you're going to be eating a lot of beans, mm. a lot of fiber, and that is going to cause gas and bloating. You know, So I would say, look, if you are eating a super high-calorie diet, let's look at getting some low-fiber, higher-calorie foods in there to bump up your calorie intake without as much fiber. So let's look at getting tofu in there and protein powders for that extra protein that you need. Mm. Um, let's look at getting in things like, instead of like a whole wheat pasta, let's get in, you know, a... Um, uh, a low fiber pasta or white rice and stuff like that you know these are not they're not the healthiest foods but you're eating if you're eating more than the average person you can get these foods in and yeah. still hit all your nutrient requirements anyway so I would look there I'd also make sure that you are um, you're rinsing like and, and soaking all the beans and making sure mm. you're preparing them properly um, and then the other thing I'd add to that is like make sure you're eating mindfully like make sure you're not just shoveling down a load of food you know, make sure you're try, trying not to be stressed when you're eating because all these things can contribute to gas and yeah. bloating too. And how you sat as well, what type of clothing you're wearing. If you're wearing something which is really tight on your um, stomach, that's going to push it, push on your intestines and really um, cause, you know, even more discomfort. Mm. Take off that corset then, do you <laughs> when, <laughs> when you're eating. And that... Is about that. That was fun, man. I loved it. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. We, I, I want to make this a regular thing, so mm. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but oh, we just, we'll just put it on. <laughs> um, but I think if we can, if we can whittle through questions, I think it's really going to help people. It can be hard, and we've we've tried to do it before. You know, focus on a specific topic of nutrition, but it's like we don't know if that's what people want to hear. Yeah. And also, like you can just ramble on for ages. And me, ages. you can ramble on to the skies, right? So. Right. Is that saying? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you were gonna say till the cows come home. I've never heard that one. So yeah, that was that was fun. Thank you everyone for your questions. I hope we've been able to help you. And if you do have any further questions, send us an email, send us a DM, put it in our Facebook group and we will answer them in a future. Absolutely. What are we gonna call this? Um what's our names merged? Lou and Josh. Losh or Jew? The Jolly the Jolly Show. 
Was that a thing? It's, it's Polly. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to let's call it nutrition, nutrition something. Let's have a brand name on it. I'll have we'll one by the end of the know. show. <laughs> nutrition Corner, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah, we will see you on a future episode of Nutrition Corner. With Josh and Leo. Done. Done. Jolly. <laughs> Jolly. Jolly good. Jolly good. Love, fam. See you on the next episode. Thank you for being here.